this semester we have been studying what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. And we've been seeing that as you begin to embody these qualities uh, called the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, you begin to be fully human. What it means to be fully human is to be like Jesus. And Jesus embodied these qualities, this fruit. And when you come to know Jesus by faith, he unites himself to you. And you begin to develop these fruit in your life. So we've been looking at them one by one. And tonight we're on self-control. Um, some of the most self-controlled people I know are people that are distance runners. Um, I think Meg Stimke might be a little wing tonight, but she is a, dis- a distance runner. And uh, what is a, uh, my marathon is like two to three miles, generally. That's, that's my running distance. Um, I do it a lot, but I just can't imagine running five to six to 26 miles or anything like that. But um, my understanding is when you run long distances like that, often around like mile 18, 19, 20, something like that, you hit the wall physically and your body just starts screaming at you that everything you're doing is wrong and the worst and this is a terrible idea. And often when marathon runners hit the wall, they forget why they're even running in the first place. Okay? They're like, this is stupid. Why would I subject myself to this? They might be running for a cause, running um, for for a personal record, and they forget And what they need to do is they need to interrupt their body's craving to stop and to get rest by remembering something. They'll often remember a a short phrase or an image that will help them push through. And tonight, as we look at at self-control, self-control really is the ability to say no to things, the ability to not be mastered by your cravings. And I think we're going to see tonight that we need something to interrupt our cravings to help us to continue on with Jesus. Uh, Self-control is not being mastered by your cravings. So this thing's like food, drink, um, sex, money, the internet, working out, Netflix, talking about people. Those are all things that can begin to have mastery over you where they are outside of your control and they begin to control you. And the question for us tonight is, are you in control of those things? Are they in control of you? And what I'm not really interested in doing tonight is sitting here and telling you why you should be self-controlled, why you should be a temperate person, why you should not be mastered by these things. Nor do I want to um, simply give you a list of things that you should say no to. Okay? I think probably most of us have a sense of there are things in our lives that we feel like control us, and we would like them not to. So I don't really want to look at those things so much. Those are worthwhile things to talk about. But what I'd really like to look at is the how. If things begin to master you and you feel as if you don't have control over things in your life, how can you begin to change that? How can you begin to exercise some degree of control or temperance in your life? And as we go along here, I want you to be thinking about that thing or those things that you feel like in your life have control or have mastery over you. And the reason why we're looking at this text from 1 Samuel 25, if you have a handout, you can see it there, is because this text is a beautiful example of someone coming in and interrupting somebody who had a strong craving to do something. And uh, this is in 1 Samuel 25, a little background on 1 Samuel 25. This is about David. David was king of Israel, and he had been anointed king of Israel, but there was another king, and his name was Saul, and Saul hated David. And he did not want David to become king. And he was actually trying to kill David. 
So David and his boys went off into the wilderness and they hid from Saul in caves out in the wilderness. And as you can imagine, like if you were just out living in caves in the wilderness, things get boring day by day. And so they actually became this sort of community watch group. People would come out and they would be having their sheep out grazing in the wilderness. And there could be robbers or thieves or people doing violence against them. And what David and his men would do is protect these shepherds and their sheep. And there was this one super rich dude that had thousands of sheep, and his name was Nabal. And David and his men watched over his, uh, his sheep. And when shearing day came along, I'm giving you this so that we don't have to read the entire chapter. When shearing day came along, it was this huge celebration. Imagine if you combined two very magical days in the life of a college student. One being the day that you get your uh, financial aid refund check. And you combine that day with the day that you take your last final. Okay. Wouldn't that be a glorious and magical day? And uh, so on the one hand, you have just done all this work and completed this work. And on the other hand, you are flush with cash. And so you might go to the cookout and celebrate with your friends and have a big feast. And that's basically what's going on at shearing time. And David sends word to Nabal and he goes, hey, you're rich. We've been taking care of your, of your shepherds and everything. It would be cool if you picked up a couple trays and you sent them down to us because we have not been able to have any cookout in a long time because we're living in the wilderness. And Nabal says, not only does Nabal say no, Nabal completely insults David, says really mean things about him. So what David does is he goes, all right, everybody, strap on your sword. We're about to go kill this dude and everybody with him. Okay? Which I understand sounds extreme. Um, the guy wouldn't give you any speech, so you're going to kill him. Um, but you have to remember, in ancient Israel, they didn't have something called an unfriend option or an unfollow option. And uh, if you think about what unfriending somebody is at its basic core, is I would like you to no longer exist in the world that I have to live in. I would like to no longer have to see you, and I would actually like to wipe you off the face of the earth. You may not go through with killing them, but it's the same sentiment. You want them to disappear. So as David and his, and his boys, his 400 boys, are going up to kill this guy, Nabal's wife, her name is Abigail. There are many wonderful women in the world named Abigail. And um, she comes out to David. I say that because Abigail prayed at the beginning of Argo. Um, she comes out and she brings all this food to David and she interrupts him from doing this vengeance. And that is where we show up here in 1 Samuel 25. I'm going to read this long passage, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to preach shorter than I normally do. Let's read. This is the word of God. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. Just so you know, she's going to say Lord a lot of times, so just hang tough. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal... His name means fool, by the way. Nabal means fool. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord who you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to you be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. 
If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your, Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt uh, well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal as much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We need your help to understand it. Uh, It seems weird to us at times. It's not part of the culture that we've lived in. And yet we know that you speak to us through it. We thank you for that. And Lord, we ask as there are many cravings within us, many things that we feel we must do, um, that you would interrupt us with good news and that we would seek hard after you and find joy and rest and peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we come to things um, that we have cravings in our lives, things that we want to do, things that feel right to us, but we have a sense that we should not do them, what we typically try to do is just to exert our willpower on the situation, okay? This is not self-control. Self-control is not saying, I will just sort of get put mind over matter here and I will make sure this thing never happens again. We try to muscle up some willpower, like you set eight alarms that go off in two-minute increments so that you're not late to class, right? Uh, You're tired of being late for class. Or you set an 11 p.m. curfew so that you and your boyfriend or girlfriend don't get into trouble after 11 p.m., don't fool around or whatever. You set that, um, that curfew. Or you decide that you aren't going to those parties again. Maybe you're here tonight and not at Lil Wayne because you're like, I need to stop hanging out with these people and do the Christian thing, so I'm here. Um, you delete Snapchat, Okay? And you install a calorie tracking app on your phone <laughs> because you want to have some more self-control in your life. You buy a Fitbit um, so you can see how much you're already walking every day. When I was in elementary school, was D.A.R.E. a big thing when you guys were in school? Yeah. Like, what was, what's the motto of D.A.R.E.? It's not don't do drugs. It's just say no, right? It's like you might, there might be all the coolest people in your life might be do- doing drugs, and it seems awesome, but just say no. Like, just don't. Just don't do it. And those are all probably good ideas, and your willpower may have some limited positive impact on your life. Like, you may be late to class less often because you set the alarms. You may eat fewer waffle fries because you're ashamed at the uh, calorie tracking app. But the problem with sheer willpower is that willpower can never change your desires. Willpower can never change what it is that you want to do. And I'm going to tell you a secret about human beings. People do, you and I, do what we want to do 100% of the time. Okay? Nobody ever does anything that they don't want to do, that they don't desire to do. You might know this, especially if you are someone that has tried to stop being physical with a significant other. You realize 
that your want to do that thing, whatever it is, is stronger than your want to not do it. And that's why you continue to do it. Um, we need to have our desires changed and just willpower itself can't, can't do that. And David's problem actually in this passage, we won't go through it, but it's, it's mentioned many times that he's trying to take salvation into his own hands. He's trying to take matters into his own hands and sort of use the force of his will to make something happen. To make something happen. And that just doesn't work for us in the long run. Um, to not be mastered by your cravings, that craving, whatever it is that you're holding in your mind, you and I need to have your desires interrupted. You need to have someone come in and say, I know you want to do this thing, but let me show you this other thing that is better than that. Um, my daughters love to play in the sandbox next to my house, and I hate the sandbox. <laughs> I hate the sandbox not because I want my children to be happy, which sometimes I do honestly want them to be happy. Um, I hate the sandbox because they get sand in their hair, and washing sand out of a young girl's long hair is very, very challenging. And if I say to my girls, hey, don't play in the sandbox, you're going to get sand in your hair, they just have a hard time obeying that command. Um, Because for them, the desire to throw sand into someone else's open mouth (laughs) is just so much strong, or open eyes... It's just so much stronger than the desire to not do that, right? But if I go to them and I say, please don't go in the sandbox. Instead, let's go to Sweet Frog and get ice cream. Then suddenly, it becomes much more manageable to exercise some self-control because there's something better for them. There's an interruption of the thing that they want to happen. What they wanted was good, the sandbox. But what I'm offering them is better, And what Abigail does in this passage to David is she shows up and she goes, I know what you want is to exact justice on this guy. But I want to show you something that's better. She doesn't say, David, stop it. Bad David. Don't do that. She gives him reminders of who God is. She interrupts his cravings. And the first thing that she reminds him is who God is. She comes and she says, I want you to remember who God is. You're running this marathon. You can't even think about why you should stop. I want to tell you who God is. Look in verse 26. She says, Thou Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. What she's acknowledging there is she's saying, me coming along at this point in your life to try and stop you from doing this thing, is God actively intervening in your life? She's like, this isn't just a coincidence. This isn't just a person-to-person thing. This is an interruption that is from God. God has sent someone to keep David from sinning. God is active in your life, is what she's telling David. He's at work in your life right now. Did you know that? That God is always at work in your life. Every day of your life since you were in your mother's belly, God has been loving you and pursuing you and working out the details of your life. Look in verse 29. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And look what she says after that. In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Now, she says that on purpose, I think. Because earlier in David's life, he was, God's people were faced with an enemy in the Philistines that wanted to wipe them out. And they had this warrior named Goliath. Even if you have very little... Um, Background with the Bible, you probably know the story of David and Goliath. David's a little guy, little shepherd boy, 
and he beats this huge warrior by putting a stone into a sling and slinging it out and killing Goliath. And what she's saying to David is, remember when God saved you? Like when it looked absolutely impossible, that you looked like you were going to be killed, that you were going to be beat down, that you were going to be lost, and God saved you in Israel. Don't forget what God has done for you to rescue you. And that's the first interruption that we need when we have cravings that rage. And where our body, uh, even our mind just goes, I must have this thing or I will die. The first interruption we need, to, we need is to remember what God has done for us. If you know Jesus. This is the beauty of, of the holidays. This week is Holy Week. Um, Palm Sunday was on Sunday. Tomorrow is Monday Thursday, which is the Last Supper. Friday is Good Friday. Um, where we remember Jesus' death. Okay, that's what I always think that they should call it Good Friday, Black Friday, and Black Friday, Good Friday, because on Good Friday you're getting stuff, and on Black Friday Jesus died. But that's okay. Um, but Good Friday is, is Good Friday. It's good news for us because what we're doing on Friday is we're remembering that Jesus took the cross for us. Um, if you're here tonight and you know Jesus, if you put your trust in him, that Jesus has gone to the cross for you, as the hymn says, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, um, you can take him by faith even tonight to say, everything that I deserve because of the things in me that rail against God, Jesus has dealt with them on the cross and he's rescued me. He has saved you. That's what we need to remember first. And this is so much of the beauty. I know you guys are sometimes you're like in church. If you visit a church and like someone's getting baptized or they're taking the Lord's Supper and you're like, I don't get it. A big part of the blessing of those two sacraments is the fact that we're remembering that God has done something for you, that he's washed you, that he has, his body has been broken, his blood has been shed for you. God is reminding us of what he has done. I also love in verse 29 there when it says, if people come to, to kill you, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. What she's telling David, and what I get to tell you tonight, beautifully, is that God gives new life. Um, God makes people new creations. He doesn't just fix you. He doesn't just clean you up. He actually, you die. The song that we just sang was beautiful. Thank you, Dane, for picking that song. But when it said, I died with you, was buried with you, the moment I believed, I rose with you, ascended with you to the heavenlies. Um, That's so beautiful. God gives us new life in Jesus. He has pursued you and kept you, and he will always care for you. Um, Those are things that begin to interrupt our cravings. And the second thing she tells him, the first thing is who God is. The second thing she tells him is who you are. She tells David who he is. She reminds him. And we need to be reminded who we are um, if, you, if you know Jesus by faith. Look in verse 28. She says, Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord, that's David, is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you as so long as you live. She's reminding David, look, you're God's king, the king of God's people. You're not fighting your own petty, worthless battles. You are God's person. You are about God's work. You're fighting God's battles. You're his anointed. You don't have to avenge all of the wrongs against you. Because God has something bigger and more grand for you. You belong to God. I think it's taken me this long in ministry to realize how much you and I need to be told, like, you are God's children. 
Like you belong to him and he's good to you. Um, David Brooks, who writes for the New York Times, um, he writes about sin. He said, sin is our perverse tendency to screw things up, to favor the short term over the long term and the lower over the higher. God has wonderful and beautiful things for you in following him because God himself is the best good. He is the best possible choice, the best possible, most beautiful thing to pursue. Knowing him, walking with him is the kind of thing that satisfies someone's soul um, because God is the best good and he has good things for you. I was watching a documentary on minimalism with my wife the other day on Netflix, which was really good in some ways, but in other ways I was like, this just feels like a bunch of white people throwing stuff away, trying to find happiness that they can't find <laughs> elsewhere. And, um, and there's like this little kind of self-righteousness with it. Like, well, I threw all my stuff away. So I'm, you know, I'm just like, come on, guys. Um, <clears throat> they weren't like serving anybody, just throwing their stuff away. Um, but the guy had a really great point on there. Sorry for that sidebar <laughs> comment. It was a good documentary. You should watch it. Um, <laughs> This guy said, he, it was sort of a throwaway comment, but I really connected with it. He said, you can never, he's talking about just like amassing stuff. He said, you can never get enough of something you don't really want. And that, that really stuck with me because I said, yeah, yeah, we are trying desperately to achieve things. And the reason why we want so much more of it is because we don't really want it. So it's not satisfying us. So we get more and more and more. God satisfies souls because he is the highest and best good. Um, and what's amazing to me in the person and work of the Lord Jesus, is that he understood that fully. There are many ways that we want God to be our highest good, and there are, there are very many things that we, are not, we would not be willing to let go for him. I thought about that on Sunday when two churches were bombed in Egypt. Um, and I was like, I'm, I don't want that. Um, I'm not willing to, to go there for Jesus. But Jesus was. Uh, on Monday Thursday, which is tomorrow, we'll celebrate tomorrow. You guys should go to a Monday Thursday service. They're beautiful. But Jesus is in a garden, and he knows that he's going to be betrayed, and he's going to be crucified in the morning. And he's praying, and he's in such anguish that he's actually sweating drops of blood. I mean, I know you felt stress. I've never felt stress to the point where, like, blood was coming out of my pores. And he says to God, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Like, if you're willing, would you please, if there's any other way that, like, that our people could be saved... Um, and that all the wrongs should be put right. If there's another way, please take it away. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Because to Jesus, the greatest desire, the thing he wanted more than anything else, was for God's will to be done. For God to get glory. Because his highest and best good was God himself. Um, And... uh, that's amazing to me that Jesus loved God in that way. And we all need to be rescued from what seems right in the moment and be reminded that there's something more beautiful and fuller and more amazing. We need to be interrupted. And that's what Abigail was to David. She was an interruption. And that's what Jesus is to us day by day in our lives. He's an interruption, a reminder um, that what feels right in the moment is not necessarily right. And there's several ways that you can get at those interruptions. I'll give you a couple. These are practical. Um, Every day, spending time in prayer 
and reading the Bible. I know that sometimes we use that as like this litmus test of like how you're doing as a Christian, like as if there's like these rungs that you're like, well, I have my, I have two quiet times a day, you know, um, <laughs> as it, and like, and that's, that's just about setting yourself apart from the other people. But, but praying and reading God's word every day is a daily interruption. Um, involving yourself in someone else's life enough so that you can really see what's going on with them and they can really see what's going on with you um, is an interruption because you get to interrupt one another and go, hey, can I remind you who God is and, and, and who you are? Um, some of you guys are, are one day going to get, you've, you'll never have done this and then you will get married and then suddenly you will be like, I have to do this and it feels all kinds of wrong so you might as well just start practicing now. Um, you can be a meaningful part of a local church where there are people around you from different stages in life, and that's an interruption. It's an interruption to go, what feels super important to me as a 20-year-old in college right now doesn't necessarily feel that important to a single mom trying to raise her kids um, or, to a, or to a baby. <laughs> My problems don't seem that interesting to a baby. Um, that's an interruption. I, that's what you notice when you have kids. They don't care that you're stressed, um, <laughs> which is beautiful. And allowing yourself to be reminded of who God is and who you are, I'm telling you, is the only way to interrupt the cravings in your life and begin to, ha- to cultivate new desires. It's kind of like the beautiful thing about Boone is you get to go on the parkway at night. And when you go out there, it's a clear night and you can see the stars. It's this beautiful reminder, right, that you are very small and the world is very big. And there's a grander, more beautiful narrative that you are part of, but you're not the center of. And that re-centers you and reorients you. And that's what God wants to do by interrupting you. Because when it comes to, to self-control, when it comes to temperance, it isn't really a question of being in control or out of control. It's a question of love, which is the first part of the fruit of the Spirit, love. And, and the question for us tonight, and I'll kind of bring it down on this, is um, who do you love? Like, do you love your belly? Philippians says that, that some, for certain people, their God is their belly. Do you love your belly? Do you love your, your, your hormones, your insta-likes, your reputation in your sorority, your reputation on your floor? And those are terrible gods who will crush you in the end. Um, and uh, Bob Dylan, um, I, I have some Bob Dylan lyrics here, which is, anyway. Um, and uh, Bob Dylan got this. Bob Dylan had this like brief period, this Christian period, and he like wrote the best possible Christian music, and then he like, just went back to not being Christian anymore. Um, but I'm grateful for that time. And, and he, he has a song called Gotta Serve Somebody. And, uh, ooh, I just got an amen. Thank you, Silas. First amen I've ever gotten in our brother. Um, and he basically, he basically makes the point, he says, look, you're going to serve the thing that you love. Whatever you love, you're going to serve that thing. And he says, you might be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You, may, you might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I love this line. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord. You're going to have to serve somebody. And the question is, who are you serving? 
Is it, is it someone that intends to do good to you, that has shown you who they are, that has rescued you and promises to do good to you? And when you're craving those little persistent gods, the ones that can make you feel so good right now, you need to be reminded who you are, that you're a son or daughter of the living God. Um, and the one who has the delight of their father because of the Lord Jesus. Last Netflix illustration. I always say don't watch that much Netflix, and then I just all I do is talk about Netflix. Um, <laughs> On Chef's Table is my favorite show on Netflix. It's the best cinematography on Netflix, I think. And uh, yeah, I'm getting all kinds of talk back tonight. Um, on season three, the first episode is a Korean monk, and her name is Jean Kwan. And uh, she's, she's a beautiful chef, and uh, she only cooks for the people in the monastery. And um, when she was six, she tells a story about how when she was six or seven, she made noodles. Her, mo- her mother used to make noodles. And her family, worked, her parents worked really hard on the farm all day. And one day while they were gone, she was six or seven, she made noodles for her family. And just as they were coming in, she was finishing these noodles. And, and they, they were delicious and they were beautiful. And her mother came to her and she said, um, where did you learn to make these noodles? And she said, I learned from watching you because I wanted to make you happy. And uh, this is a woman that has left everything and has lived for like 40 or 50 years in the monastery as a monk. And she, it was, she still cried when she said this. She said that her mother was so pleased and patted her on the shoulder. And Jean Quan said, when I felt the love of my mother, I wanted to be like her. And that, my friends, is the secret of living with God, of exercising the fruit of the Spirit, of, of cultivating them in your life, is that when you begin to feel that God loves you, that he delights in you, that he's satisfied in you, because of what Jesus has done on your behalf, you will want to be like him. As you head into Good Friday and Easter this weekend, uh, may you feel the love of your father who did not spare his only son but gave him up freely for us all. And how will he not also with him give us all things? Look to Jesus, the one who had love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control and loves you. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much that you love us, that you've given yourself for us that you've thought more highly of us than you have of yourself. And thank you so much that you loved your father and that kept you going. Would you remind us either for the first time or in a new way um, that we are sons and daughters of the most high God. And would you help us to turn away from the things that feel right now and instead find joy and health and peace with you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.